What's up, movie lovers? Welcome back to another episode of I Want to Talk About Movies. In the past few weeks, we've talked about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We talked about Phase 1, and we talked about Phase 2. Before that, we talked about the DC Cinematic Universe. And I realized that we talk a lot about superhero movies, which is understandable for the most part, since superhero movies have dominated box offices for years now um i've mentioned before that marvel has such a massive presence in film there are just so many marvel movies out there that we just absolutely couldn't cover it all within one episode so i was planning on making four episodes altogether. three of them would have been dedicated to the mcu and one would have just been dedicated to the movies outside of the cinematic universe But this past week, I was just thinking about it, and I realized that there's still a lot of movies out there. I mean, you have X-Men, you have Fantastic Four, Blade, Spider-Man, you know, all these other films. So I figured I would just round off with the MCU in this episode and leave the rest of the Marvel movies for another day, another time. So for now, let's just get into Phase 3. I'm your host, Bran, and I want to talk about movies. So while I was making this episode, I realized that in almost all the movies in Phase 3, people are paying for um, ramifications. So either someone is paying for a mistake that they made themselves or other people are paying for a mistake that someone else has made. Um, Happens quite a bit in each movie. So first up on phase three, we have Captain America Civil War. This movie changes everything. It seems like all Captain America movies change the universe somehow. Um, for Civil War, we were were given a look into what happens after people save the world. In this case, it's more about the negatives rather than the positive parts of saving people. In Civil War, they talk about something called the Sokovia Accords. Uh, these accords are basically a way for the government to tell superheroes, this is when you can go and save people, and this is when you can't go and save people. Um... In previous Marvel movies, we've we've seen that the fights that they go through end up causing a lot of damage, and the government feels that it does a lot more bad than good, so they want to try and control uh, how the Avengers work, um, and that's why they came up with this law. Um, named after what happened in the Age of Ultron, because that took place in Sokovia. The law splits pretty much everyone apart. Um, Of course, when change happens, you're going to have people who are for it, and you're going to have people who are going to be against it. In Civil War, we have um, the primary faces of each side is Iron Man, for it, believe it or not. Tony Stark is actually for this idea, and Captain America is against it. Um, Cap feels that they should be able to, to help whoever needs it whenever they need it. Whereas Iron Man kind of wants to hold people accountable. It's kind of a big character change for Tony. I think out of everyone, Tony Stark has gone through the most changes. He's definitely more mature after his stay in both a cave and in a wormhole in space. This movie, In this movie, the world seems to be after... Bucky Barnes, a.k.a. the Winter Soldier. That includes Captain America. Unfortunately, looking for Bucky is going against the Accords. Since the government didn't allow Captain America to go after him, um, once again, Cap is a fugitive. Again, it seems like in every Captain America movie, Captain America turns into a fugitive. Truth be told, we don't see Cap... We don't see Captain America until... Infinity War, and in that movie, he is still a fugitive. I felt that Steve Rogers was really unwilling to listen. 
Like he just had tunnel vision because Bucky is his best friend. He wants to help him. It's kind of obvious that Bucky has these problems and he has no way of fixing them. You know, I feel like maybe if you explain the situation to somebody, then it could definitely maybe work. Not really. Um, on the opposition, though, it also seems like Iron Man is somewhat on a warpath. And I use that term very lightly. I say warpath because he really wants the Sokovia Accords to happen to where it's almost aggressive. But at the same time, um, between the two of them, Tony did eventually come to Steve's aid in the end. Even if it was short-lived, you know, he did come out to help them. And we find out that the reason why it's short-lived is because we find out that Bucky, while brainwashed, ended up killing Tony's parents at one point in time. And that changes Tony from being for the Accords to just being super mad. Epic fight ensues. We also find out that someone else has been pulling the strings to make Bucky seem worse than he actually is. A man by the name of Armin Zola from Sokovia who lost his family and blames the Avengers for it. In Age of Ultron, they fought and pretty much destroyed Sokova, including Zola's family. Repercussions. So the Avengers are paying for what they did. Uh, this whole movie deals with, re with repercussions and the Accords were made as a result of the damages that the Avengers caused. Tony got angry because Bucky killed his parents. Zola tried to break up the Avengers because of his loss. You know, cause and effect, this happens. The movie ends with the Avengers officially breaking up, and Steve leaves Tony with the ability to give him a call if they ever need him. Uh, Tony doesn't outright say it, but he keeps Steve's contact just in case. What a way to start phase three, guys. Begin with the end. With Thor, we were introduced to gods and other realms. In Guardians of the Galaxy, we were introduced to outer space. With Doctor Strange, we are introduced to acid trips. Doctor Strange showed us that magic and sorcery exist in this world and will trip you out. Benedict Cumberbatch plays both the main character, Doctor Strange, and the main antagonist, Dormammu, with uh, motion captured. Benedict Cumberbatch seems to love, love motion captured. And he's really good at it. He can definitely like move around for it. So he's definitely good at what he does. Uh, much like Iron Man... Uh, Doctor Strange is a cocky know-it-all that has a life-changing experience and adopts a superhero persona. I swear if he pees on himself in Doctor Strange 2, my point will be proven. I feel like Benedict Cumberbatch would be a really cool person to be around. He actually went to a comic book store uh, dressed in full Doctor Strange gear and bought some Doctor Strange comics. Um, he also took pictures and signed autographs while he was there. So I think that's pretty cool. That's, it's really awesome. Um, he almost didn't play the Sorcerer Supreme at the time. Benedict Cumberbatch was doing, um, some theater work and the schedules had clashed. So he wasn't really able to do the movie, but Marvel being the giant presence that it is, um, they were able to switch the release date so they were able to get um benedict to come by and, and be in the movie for them so that's really good um dr strange is a surgeon and a really good one one night while driving he gets into a huge huge car accident and he ends up um wounding his hands uh quite extensively um for those of you who don't know in order to be a surgeon, you have to have full control of your hands. I mean, one little shake and you can actually end up hurting someone quite seriously. So, you know, this is kind of a big deal. Like you, you need your hands to do this job. So what he ends up doing is he ends up like spending whatever money he has 
uh, to try and cure himself, try and fix his hands with no luck. Um, throughout the beginning of the movie, it seems like he's just kind of making it worse. You know, he's, like I said, he's kind of a know-it-all. And from what I, from what I understand about doctors, um, doctors make the worst patients. <laughs> so, you know, he's kind of just trying to force something that most doctors will tell any regular person, you know, hey, this will heal in time. You just need to do these exercises. You you broke your leg. Okay, well, you know, do this exercise with your leg and it'll eventually get better. You know, it's not going to be fixed overnight, which in this case, it seems that's what uh, Dr. Strange, wa Dr. Strange wants is an overnight fix. Um, so after he basically loses all of his money, um, he is eventually pointed towards the mystic arts and plunged into the secret school for witchcraft and wizardry. And in a way, this is his this is his repercussion, you know? He hurt himself and then and now he's paying the consequences. People who people who think they're better than others have this feeling of being untouchable. And it's jarring when they find out how untouchable they really are. In movies, it's really humanizing. And this is exactly what happens for Doctor Strange. It kind of humanizes him. But um, even after he, he learns that magic is real, he still questions it. You know, Doctor Strange is the type of person where he's going to ask questions. If something doesn't feel right, even for a second... He's going to ask questions about it. He's going to question people about it. And, you know, this gets him into a lot of trouble. And at the same time, it also kind of helps helps him again, you know. Um, like I said, throughout the movie, he is desperately trying to fix himself and get himself back on top. And in the end, you know, he got himself back on top, but not where he thought. So I think that's really interesting. I think at this point, it's safe to say that we can always expect something new and interesting from Marvel. Um, the main theme of this movie is time. Uh, not only do we learn about the next Infinity Stone, which is the Time Stone, but aside from that, um, you know, time is a big presence in this movie where it's the time he spent away from home. It's the time he spent away from his loved ones. And there's even a message from the girl he cared for at one point in time. Um, she wrote a message on the back of a watch. You know, and these are things, these are aspects of time. And, you know, I feel like that's very important. Uh, this movie really tripped me out. I remember the first time I went to see this movie and the CGI, you know, the CGI was really good. It was, well, the first time I saw it, it was kind of overloaded. Like, I kind of felt like, whoa, that's a lot going on there. But after after watching it a couple of times, I was like, okay, you know, not too bad, not too bad. I feel like if you never know how good a movie is until you've seen it twice. And this was definitely a good movie. After the hugely positive response to the first movie, Marvel decided to add another. As I said before, Guardians of the Galaxy was Marvel's way of testing the waters. Just like Iron Man, you know, hey, let's see how this does. You know, see see how people like this. Guardians of the Galaxy was actually meant to be the only Guardians movie. But, since it did so well, it got itself not one, but two sequels. So, expected it to be a volume three. Um... A little fun fact for you. Vin Diesel did not have to change his voice. Or he didn't have to digitally alter his voice for, for Baby Groot. That's just him. That's how that's how he talks with a little baby tree. Um, everyone from the first movie returns for this one. Um, we learn... The biggest thing we learn is that Star-Lord, a.k.a. Peter Quill, um, played by Chris Pratt, uh, we learn his parentage. That's the biggest thing we learn from this movie. Uh, Kurt Russell plays Ego, who is Peter's father. And he is known as a celestial being. Now, a celestial is a being. 
with immense power, kind of almost godlike. And because of this, you know, Peter thinks, yeah, you know, this guy's pretty cool. But eventually, Peter learns that his father has a hidden secret to take over the universe. We get a deeper look into the relationship with Yandu and and Peter. Uh, Yandu is the alien who had kidnapped Peter, but ended up keeping him and taking care of him, becoming kind of a father figure to Peter. Um, unfortunately, Peter never really realized this, and by the time he does realize this, Yandu has sacrificed himself, kind of like a true father would do for their child. Um, in the original comic books, Yandu was actually a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, in one of the end credit scenes, uh, they show a group of Yandu's old friends, including Sylvester Stallone and Michelle Yuen. Um, this is actually a tease or kind of an Easter egg to that Guardians team, uh, just minus Yandu. Um, although I believe there aren't any plans to pursue a storyline for them, that's just another, another fun thing. Another fun fact about that same scene is that there is a robot head whose name is Mainframe, and the voice of Mainframe is actually Miley Cyrus. She has like one line, but I find that pretty interesting. Like, hey, Miley Cyrus was in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. What do you know? Um, but more interesting than that, in Ant-Man, they digitally made uh, Michael Douglas look younger, the very first Ant-Man. They did not do this for Kurt Russell, mainly because they had another actor play a younger version of Ego. Um, the younger actor is actually named Aaron Schwartz, and he played the, the younger version of Ego. But in 1995, Aaron Schwartz attended Fat Camp in the movie Heavyweights as the main character, Gerald Gardner. It looks like Fat Camp really did help him because he is no longer a heavyset guy. He definitely looks good. Like time has been good for him. Quite a quite a transformation, honestly. Now, to the repercussions in this movie. There are a couple. Um, the biggest one, I believe, is Yandu. Is with Yandu. Um, when we first see him in this movie, he's being kind of shunned, kind of sorta, by. Um, by the other Ravengers um, because of his relationship with Ego. Uh, we learn throughout the movie that Ego would go to different planets and hook up with different alien species to bear children. Um, as I said before, Ego is trying to take over the world, but unfortunately he can't do it by himself. He is really powerful, but he is not powerful enough to um, take over the world, take over the universe, I should say. Sorry. Um, so he goes from planet to planet and he tries to get women pregnant and he tries to help have them help him take over the world. But when the kid, when the kids are born, Yandu would go and pick them up and take them to Eagle. Try as they may, the children could not handle the power and they died. Once Yandu found, found out what he was doing, he couldn't do that to Peter. So he took Peter with him as kind of a way to kind of protect him, but he never told Peter that. Um, as a punishment for bringing harm to children, even though he was he was doing it unknowingly, uh, Yando, Yandu became kind of an outsider. They shunned him. Um, this movie has the most end credit scenes than any other Marvel movie. A total of five. Um with one adding to the eventual addition to the MCU with Adam Warlock. Um, Adam Warlock, we've, like I said, we only see him in Guardians of the Galaxy, and we don't really see him. We just see a cocoon with him in it. But the idea is that, you know, they're, they're going to bring him back somehow, probably with one of the Infinity Stones. Um, I'm pretty sure it'll happen somewhere in Phase 4. I'm not 100% sure if it'll be with the Guardians or maybe on his own. Maybe he'll have he'll start off with his own movie. I don't know. But I'm definitely excited to see what comes from it. Um, 
this is definitely a good step in the right direction for for Guardians. Usually with sequels, it's not super good, but they definitely did a great job with this one. So after a long negotiation, Marvel finally got them back, and the first thing they did was they threw them into the MCU. Spider-Man was a last-minute add into Phase 3, so if him being in Civil War feels a little random, that's kind of why. Um, they worked him pretty well. They worked him in pretty well, but still kind of felt a little bit random. Um, Spider-Man is one of those characters where he doesn't need an origin story. Like He's popular enough to where they don't really need to rehash his story. Um, if anything... They could easily get away with doing the same thing they did in The Incredible Hulk, where they show the origin story with the beginning credits and maybe like one or two mentions throughout the movie. I think they'd definitely be able to get away with it. Um, either way, Peter Parker did not get an origin story. They did touch on it a little bit in Civil War, but aside from that, um, he was already Spider-Man and the world just went with it. <laughs> Uh, the repercussions in this film falls on Peter, but was started because of Tony. Um, the beginning of the movie takes place right after the events of the first Avengers film. So a bunch of cleanup crews are coming in and trying to clean up and repair New York City after the Battle of New York. Um, but while they're doing this, another team comes in and tells them, hey, we were hired by Tony Stark. You guys need to leave. Um the reason for that is because these are high-tech classified um, items and they need to be taken care of by the proper people. And at the same time, I'm sure Tony Stark wants to kind of, you know, learn more from these items. Unfortunately for Adrian Toomes, played by the great Michael Keaton, uh, he loses his business and has to figure out a way how to, you know, help his family. Um, you know, it happens every day. Most people would just go on unemployment and try and continue on. But not Adrian. He keeps some of the tech and he ends up using it to become the Vulture. Um, the Vulture, basically, one of Spider-Man's more popular characters. Um, the Vulture is trying to get other tech from, from Tony Stark. And what he's doing is he's getting these tech and he's pimping them out, and he's making weapons, and then selling them. And these are high-tech weapons, so, you know, they're definitely going to be selling them for a high price, you know. You got to support your family somehow, right? So sometime later, present day, um, Peter has just helped Iron Man fight Captain America, and they're back home, back in New York, and Peter is given a new suit, <clears throat> a new suit and a new high tech suit, I should say. And Tony kind of tells him, Hey, you know what? I want you to kind of take care of the local threats. I want you to be, you know, go, go about your business and be Spider-Man. And eventually like, you know, Peter kind of goes back to his normal every day, you know, helping old ladies cross the street and getting yelled at by Stan Lee. Um, but after a while, like Peter starts to kind of come down from his high after fighting with Iron Man. Um, he starts to come down and he starts to get a little restless. I mean, he's a he's a kid, so he's going to be restless, you know? So every time he does something too big, like too big for Tony's standards, Tony has to try and kind of bring him back to where he feels Tony, to where he feels Peter should be. But again, Peter's a kid, so Peter doesn't listen very much. And he starts to look into the Vulture case, which proves a little too big for him. And he actually ends up causing uh, more trouble than anything. And like I said, Tony would rather Peter contain like small, localized issues. And it kind of seems that Tony cares for, for Peter. Um, but... Because Peter has repeatedly not listened to him, uh, Tony ends up taking the suit that he made special for Peter as a consequence. Um, eventually, Peter learns 
that the girl that he has a huge crush on is the daughter of the vulture. And as if meeting as if meeting the folks wasn't hard enough, right? But he now realizes that he now has to prove himself and stop the vulture. Um, Peter learns that in, in doing this, Peter learns that he is more than just a special suit. You know, even Tony tells him, like, you know, if you if you think you can't do this job without the suit, then you shouldn't have the suit at all. And so Peter learns that he's more than just that, you know, and he's able to defeat the, the vulture and in return save the tech that was actually Tony's responsibility. Um, because of this, Tony offers Peter a spot on the Avengers and a new suit. Peter declines, but agrees to be Spider-Man. He agrees to continue to be Spider-Man. Tony returns the high-tech suit that he took away, and the movie ends with Aunt May, a.k.a. Marissa Tomei, mm. uh, discovers that Peter is Spider-Man. By looking at the next Spider-Man movie, it seems that she's okay with it. Like She's like, okay, he's Spider-Man. That's cool. But definitely a good movie. I feel like this, I feel like Tom Holland as Spider-Man, um, he seems to have his stuff in order. Like, I think out of the three, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man was definitely the one who had the hardest life. Like, he always seemed busy. Whereas, for Andrew Garfield, we didn't really see Spider-Man outside of high school for that much of time. Um, and then for this one, Tom Holland, he's still in high school. So, out of the three, Tobey Maguire definitely had a lot more of a stressful life. But this is definitely a good movie. Definitely a good addition to the Spider-Man canon. And an even, even better addition to the MCU. I was really excited about Thor Ragnarok. The trailer was amazing. Um, the thing I really like about Thor in the comics is that, for the most part, they kind of stay true to the mythology. Um, in North... In Norse mythology, uh, Thor is actually the cause of Ragnarok, and Ragnarok is the Norse version of Armageddon. So, in the beginning of this movie, uh, Thor, in a way, unknowingly starts on the road to Ragnarok. Uh, like Spider-Man, uh, Thor has to learn that he is more than just his hammer. Um, in in previous movies, with Thor, he's always been Kind of confident, but a little bit more serious, you know. Um, he's able to be funny, but that's not really a side of him we see a whole lot of. Um, this movie has a lot of humor. It is a super funny movie. Thor is still confident, but it's more of kind of a cockiness to it. Um, but it's not a turnoff, you know. Like We, as the audience, got to grow with Thor over the course of four movies. Uh, five, if you include his cameo in Doctor Strange, but... Since it was shown and expanded upon in the in Thor Ragnarok, I don't really count that as a Thor movie or a movie with Thor. Um, the director in this movie is Tika Watiti. I like I like Tika Watiti, man. He is a New Zealander, and he's directed other movies such as uh, What We Do in the Shadows. The Inbetweeners, and a few episodes of Flight of the Concords. Um, if you like Flight of the Concords, then you would definitely like him. He's, he's a really good actor. He's really funny. Um, he's also the voice of Korg, the rock alien that befriends Thor. Um, so, uh, Thor finds out that Odin is not Odin, but it's actually Loki. Loki is still alive, and has assumed the position as ruler of Asgard. So Thor and Loki decide that they have to find Odin and they find him but shortly after he after shortly finding him um, Odin dies and once he dies Thor's sister Hela is released from her prison and tries to take over Asgard. Um, some stuff happens and Thor and Loki are accidentally transported to a planet called Sakaar, 
where every day is opposite hoarder day, where instead of hoarding things in your house, you hoard all your trash outside. And yeah, it's basically a garbage planet. Oh, well, no, it, it is. It is a garbage planet. <laughs> um, a garbage planet with gladiator-style fights. There we meet Jeff Goldblum, being Jeff Goldblum like normal. Uh, he plays the uh, Grand Master, and the Grand Master is in charge of these gladiator fights, and he has his own gladiators. Um, his most current champion is the Hulk. And we haven't seen the Hulk since Age of Ultron. Um, in Age of Ultron, the Hulk kind of left Earth and was teleported to Sakaar. Um, it's not really explained how or very well, in my opinion, but that's just how it is. So Thor eventually uh, calms Hulk down to where Bruce is brought back. And at this point, it's been about two years since Ultron, and Bruce has no idea. He doesn't even realize that time has passed. And that's kind of scary if you think about it, right? I mean, like, if you think about it, he's basically been asleep for two years. And that's kind of a scary thought. But he sticks, he, you know, he puts up with it, and they work together. And they escape and head back to Asgard to fight Hela. But she is way too powerful. She is way too powerful. So um, Thor tells Loki to kind of, hey, you know what? Let's start, let's start Ragnarok and let's destroy Asgard. Um, they're able to save the people before they do so. So that's a good thing. Um so as sad as they are that their home is destroyed, they're okay with it because they're told that Asgard is not a place but her people. And as long as they have their people, they are okay. And in the comics, they do actually make another Asgard in on Earth. So they have like a little section of Earth that is Asgardian. So that's pretty cool. The rent must be crazy. Um, so they leave to go to Earth, but they are stopped by a massive spaceship. It's about to go down. But later. <laughs> if I had to pick one thing that bothers me about the MCU, um, I'd say it'd be Hulk. First off, Hulk's storyline is very left and right. He can't control his powers, but then he can't control his powers because he's always angry. But then he can't. And it's a bit obvious that he can't really control it. Or at least he doesn't have complete control over it. Um, he might have a handle on it, but it's definitely a loose handle. Secondly, I feel that Hulk is underutilized. Um, he's a part of the main four, but he only has one solo movie. And I believe that's why... I believe that's a big reason why they made Thor Ragnarok. Um, so that, one, they can put Hulk, they can show Hulk and please the Hulk fans. And two, so that they can kind of forward his story back to Earth so that way they can have a connector for Infinity War. Um, so, yeah, that's my, that's kind of my issue with it. There, There's some news going around right now that X-Men will be added to the MCU, which would be super awesome. But if it's true, though, I have an idea that, that I think they should do, and I think it would be really, really cool. Um, I think they should shoot a movie and have it end like the Incredible Hulk comic book number 180, 180. Um, for those of you who don't know comic books very well, the Incredible Hulk number 180 is actually the very first appearance of Wolverine. Um, the very last panel is a picture of Wolverine. That's his very first time he's ever been in a comic book. And then in The Incredible Hulk number 181, the full issue is kind of dedicated to, kind of dedicated to Hulk and Wolverine. So what I think is like make a movie, make another you know Marvel movie with Hulk in it. And at the end of it, have Hulk kind of like just walking around the forest, you know, he's trying to he's looking for something. 
you know, someone told him, hey, go look here and see what you can find. And, you know, he's looking around in the mountains somewhere. And all of a sudden, you hear, like, hey, bub. And you see Hulk just kind of turn around. And all you hear is the the claws come out. And, you know, that's all you see. You just see the claws and you hear the claws come out. And that's it. Cut cut to cut to credits. Or even better, make it a make it a end credit scene. So that way you can tease the next Marvel movie. And then have the next Marvel movie be like a Hulk movie with Wolverine. You know, and then Hulk and Bruce, uh, Wolverine and Bruce have to work together to for a common goal or something. You know, I think that'd be a really good really good uh, idea. You know, you're welcome, Marvel. Black Panther is next and was an awesome movie. Um, we first met T'Challa in Civil War, and he was actually a fan favorite in that movie. And so after Civil War, we kind of waited. Like, we knew that there was going to be a Black Panther solo movie, and we just kind of waited for that, and it did not disappoint. Um, Black Panther isn't really an, doesn't really have an origin story like most movies. And I say that within the idea of like the normal origin story. Like there was no radioactive panther that attacked him. There's no um no mutated cat that scratched him or anything like that. Um Black Panther is actually more of a mantle than anything else. Um it's something that was passed down from generation to generation between that royal um, bloodline, so to speak. So if you were the king of, of Wakanda, you became the Black Panther. Um, which I think is very interesting. It's not really like the normal origin story. Like We got, we got more of a history lesson than, a, than an origin story, which I think is really interesting. It's, a, it's different from the norm, which I like. Um, the story was really, really strong. The special effects were fantastic. And of course, the villain. The villain, everybody. Yet another addition to Marvel's strong villains. Um, Michael B. Jordan as Eric Killmonger was amazing. One of the most popular uh, villains in the MCU. But unfortunately, there's no sequel to him as, for spoiler alert, in the end, he died. Um, it was actually a really peaceful death, though. I mean, as, disappointed as, as disappointing as it is that he won't be in another Marvel movie, um, they closed his story very, very well, and it moves the story forward. Um, T'Challa, played by Chadwick Boseman, is now king of Wakanda. And Wakanda is like this secret, um, extremely advanced nation in Africa. And they have like a lot of technological advances. They have a lot of um, resources there. They're really, really well off. Like they, the world just doesn't know who they are. Um, in this movie, T'Challa is actually paying for a mistake that his father had made. When... When T'Challa and Eric were kids, T'Challa's dad actually went to visit Eric's dad in, I believe, California, and he ended up killing him for some form of treason. And that kind of caused the chain reaction where Eric wanted to get revenge. And at the same time, uh, he wanted to get retribution because of slavery and racism and stuff like that. So he wanted to, you know, pay back the world for harming his brothers and sisters. So because Wakanda is such a well-kept secret, um, it kind of becomes a choice now where T'Challa has to choose whether to continually continue to keep Wakanda a secret or to expose them to the world. Um, it's not super clear. He, he's not really 100% sure what to do with that. But Eric does. Eric does want to expose Wakanda, but he wants to expose it with the negative way of war instead of peace. 
So T'Challa has to take care of business. And eventually, you know, they fight and T'Challa eventually wins. And because, because of this, he, he does decide to expose Wakanda. But instead of with war, he does it with peace. And he, he you know, shares his wealth with the world. He shares their knowledge of vibranium. That's the reason why Wakanda is so advanced because the same material that Captain America has in his shield is literally covered, <laughs> buried, literally buried in Wakanda. It's everywhere. And they use it for everything. Like, it's, it's so odd that in other Marvel movies, we've heard that um, vibranium is such a rare metal, but it's really not. I mean, it just... The amount of mining that they do in this movie seems like it's definitely very much abundant. Um, so T'Challa does eventually share Wakanda with the world, and he does this with hopes for a better future. Yeah, it was a really good movie. Definitely, definitely a good, a good change to Marvel's pace, and definitely broke a lot of records too. Such a good movie. Infinity War is the culmination of the last 10 years. Okay, almost every Marvel movie is represented here. This is such a massive movie with such a massive ending. Epic fight scenes, crossovers, everything you would expect from a Marvel movie and more. At this point, we know who Thanos is, but we don't know a lot about him. You know, we only know that he's basically... He basically exists in this universe. That's really like the most we know about him. Um, with it, with this movie, we really find out how, how big of a threat he really is. Um, Thanos feels like in order to save the universe, he has to cull half of it. The dictionary defines the word culling, C-U-L-L-I-N-G, as a reduction of a wild animal population by selective slaughter. So he's definitely a big threat. And the thing is that he's not he's not doing it for recognition or fame, although I do believe he does expect people to thank him for it. He's doing it because he genuinely thinks it's the right thing to do, um, which makes him extremely dangerous. Um, before this movie came out, you know, everyone was trying to guess, you know, who, who was going to die. Like, we knew that there would be some deaths in this movie. But if I'm being honest, I would have never guessed it was that much. Um, just because we're so used to, you know, superhero movies where the superhero, superhero wins or where, you know, the good guys win, the bad guys lose. You know, just telling you right now, the good guys do not win in this movie. <laughs> Um, there are basically two categories when it comes to the people dying in this movie. Um, the two categories are those who got culled and those who got in Thanos's way. So, um, the people real quick, the people who got in Thanos's way were Loki, Heimdall, pretty much all of Asgard, uh, Gamora, a big chunk of Wakanda and Vision. And then the people who got dusted was uh, Black Panther, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Scarlet Witch, uh, Winter Soldier, Groot, Star-Lord, Drax, Mantis, the Wasp and her parents, Nick Fury, Maria Hill, uh, Black Panther's sister, Shiri, she, she got dusted too. So pretty much everybody is gone except for like the original the original avengers and that's really just like the tip of the iceberg it's it's assumed that with the end game trailer uh the first trailer that we saw um it's kind of assumed that hawkeye lost his family and so it's kind of you know there's a lot of loss going on in this movie um thanos performs his his epic snap with what is called the infinity gauntlet uh the infinity gauntlet holds uh, all six infinity stones and that makes him pretty much unstoppable 
uh, we finally get to see all of the stones. It's like throughout throughout the uh, the past ten years of these movies, um, you know, we've seen stones here and there, but this is the first time we not only see all six of them, but it's the first time we see all six of them together, and we can actually see how powerful they are together. I mean, we already know they're extremely powerful separately, so now we get to see their power together. Um, the movie starts off with him, with Thanos already in possession of the Power Stone. Uh, the last time we saw that, we saw that in the uh, first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and that was left on Xandar. So Xandar is gone, pretty much. Uh, Loki, before he, before Thanos killed him, Loki gave Thanos the Tesseract, so that gave him the second one. And then he got the reality stone from the collector. And then um, Gamora, he found out that Gamora actually knows where the soul stone is. The soul stone is actually the only one, the only stone that we have not seen in the MCU. So um, everyone thought that Heimdall was actually going to be the last stone, which I thought was really cool. I thought that would have been really good, but apparently that wasn't the case. Um the Soul Stone was actually on another planet. And apparently, the Soul Stone has a guardian now. It has a, the Red Skull. Someone we haven't seen since Captain America, the first Avenger, makes his appearance almost... It feels like almost a full 10 years later. I know it hasn't been, but almost a full 10 years later, um, we finally see Red Skull and what he's doing. And he's just watching over the stone. Um, so Thanos has to sacrifice Gamora to get that stone. And that actually took a lot out of him. You know, it shows that Thanos did actually care about Gamora. Gamora was his adoptive daughter, adopted daughter. And so, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of the idea was that, was that Thanos didn't really care about his adoptive children. You know, they just kind of, he just kind of used them to kind of further his own means. But as it turns out, he did care for at least one of them, that being Gamora. And after he sacrifices her, it does take a lot out of him. And, you know, he was sad, but, you know, he took it as, you know, it's a hard step in the right direction. So that way he could realize his goal. Um, eventually, Doctor Strange gives him the time stone in exchange for Tony Stark's life. And he eventually uh, killed Vision for the Mind Stone. Um, I think Vision, Spider-Man, and Loki's deaths were the hardest in this movie. Mainly because Loki has always been a popular character. And he's always managed to escape death like quite a few times. And in this one, it just it just seems like it's not going to happen. You know, like he seems pretty dead for this one. Um, Peter Parker's death was hard because we experienced it with Tony. That's why, um, in a way through Tony's eyes, it broke our hearts, you know, with like Tony, I think Tony did kind of see Peter as kind of a son to him. And so, you know, he did try to protect him and in a way feels responsible for Peter's death. So that really kind of, it broke our hearts a little bit there. And then with Vision, you know, they were working really hard. Like throughout the movie, they're trying to figure out another way to get the stone out of Vision's head without killing him. So they were doing that throughout the movie or throughout the final battle. And, you know, they're just trying to keep him alive and destroy the stone at the same time. Um, unfortunately... Um, Scarlet Witch had to destroy it while it was still in Vision's head. So she ended up doing that, and it killed him in the process. It was very sad. But two seconds later, Thanos uses the Time Stone to bring Vision back to life just so he can pluck the stone from his head and kill him in the process yet again. So that was pretty dark. It got really dark there for a second. Um... I think those who died before the snap are dead. 
I think they're dead and they're not going to be coming back. Those who were turned into dust, I believe, will eventually be back. Um, I'm kind of surprised that they released the trailer for the next Spider-Man movie. Because, I mean, that's kind of a spoiler alert in its own. Because now we know that Peter Parker is going to come back. Um, I would have liked to have watched Endgame before seeing a trailer for the next Spider-Man movie. But it is what it is, you know. Um, there's so much I could say about this movie. Um, there's just so much going on. But I want to talk about the time I actually went to go see the movie. Um, I saw it in theaters. And there's a scene where where Iron Man and Thanos are fighting kind of one-on-one. And it kind of ends with Thanos stabbing Tony. And I remember I remember watching that scene, and I made like a sound. I was like, <gasps> and it was super loud. Like I went to like an early-ish showing of it, like an early afternoon showing of the movie. And I made that noise, so there wasn't a whole lot of people in the theater. So if... <laughs> It's like that moment of silence where like the movie is trying to allow you to register what just happened. So it's good and quiet to where everyone can hear a guy go. <gasps> yeah. Super embarrassing. Everyone heard me. Everyone heard me. But aside from that, the movie was great. Definitely, definitely a great um, culmination for the last 10 years. I really felt like um, they could have waited a little bit more. Maybe have like another Guardians movie and talk about the uh, talk about the Soul Stone. Or yeah, talk about the Soul Stone and yeah, but eh, it was it, it worked. It worked pretty well. It worked really well. I am very excited for Endgame. So next up is Ant Man and the Wasp. Uh, Ant Man and the Wasp uh, takes place about two years after Civil War and like a short time before the events in Infinity War. Um, a lot of war is going on. <laughs> so last time we saw Scott Lang, um, he was in prison for helping Captain America. And at the end of Civil War, Captain America helps everyone escape from prison, but I guess not Ant-Man and Hawkeye. Um, I guess they they just stay behind and they end up working out a deal with the government. Um, nothing is said about Hawkeye. Pretty much since like Civil War, um, you know, Hawkeye has been kind of really out of, out of the out of the mix. But I think it's safe to say that that he and Scott are in the same boat. You know, so Scott is under house arrest, but it's definitely not keeping him down. Um, he actually ended up starting a security business with him and his cohorts from the first movie, um, which is funny. It's like a group of criminals working on security, which is pretty funny, but makes sense, right? Who, who, who better to help you? Right. Um, so he helps run that business and he is actually getting, he's really close with his ex-wife and her husband. So he's really close with them. So that's good. I think that's really good that you can keep a, a good relationship with someone you used to be with. I think that's really good. Um, his relationship with his daughter is stronger than ever. So that's definitely really good. But with one mistake, if he does anything wrong, just one mistake, you know, he's going to go to jail and he's going to be gone pretty much forever. Um, so he's doing everything in his power to not mess up, you know, um, when you're under house arrest, you're pretty much just not allowed to leave the house. You're, you're in prison, but you're at home. So it's not bad, but it's not very fun. You know, so most people who go under house arrest, they end up just kind of chilling out at home, watching TV, you know, just kind of zoning out, you know. But with Scott, I like that Scott's actually making use of his time. Like, not only is he running his business, which is very important um, because it'll be his main source of income. But he's also doing more creative things too. Like he actually made a, a cardboard box maze for his daughter. Um, 
He's learning close-up magic. He's learning how to play the drums. Like, aside from his business, like, these are, like, little kind of nothing things. But I, I think it's good that he's trying to keep busy. You know, like, you're not just watching TV and chilling. You're actually learning something. So I, I think that's good. To me, that's, that's a good skill. Uh, one day, Scott has a vision of a young Hope and... He ends up trying. He does actually have contact with Hank and and Hope, but not a whole lot of it. Um, basically, he, he he calls them. They don't call him or answer him. <laughs> um, but Hope and Hank have been kind of on the run, and they haven't really spoken to Scott since Civil War. Um, so Scott was arrested for helping Captain America, but since he did so with with the technology that Hank that Hank Pym had invented uh, by inst- by extension. Hank's family is also charged with helping Captain America. Even, even if they didn't know, even if they didn't know that Scott had gone to help Captain America, the government still goes after them. It's super crazy. So after getting that phone call, um, after getting that phone call, Hank and Hope kind of kidnap Scott. And they're trying to figure out, like, t- trying to get some answers from his vision. Um, Hope and Hank have been trying to shrink down to find Hope's mother, Hank's wife. Because she shrank down, and so he's trying to shrink down to her size to get her, but that's like at a molecular level, so he has to build a certain machine to kind of find out where she is first. So they feel that with with Scott, you know, they'll be able to kind of access that part since Scott was the last person to kind of um, to kind of see her, or you know, he was the last person to go that that small. So they're basically making these like these back alley deals. And one, this their very last deal, their very last back alley deal. Um, they meet their newest villain, Ghost, an ex Shield operative looking to cure her phasing problem. She has a basically her body goes back and forth between um, visible and invisible, so her molecules are constantly splitting and. And this causes her like a lot of pain. Um, I like that Marvel doesn't just give their villains like really simple backstories. Like, hey, I'm a villain. I want money. So give me money or I'll destroy the world. No, like, like some for, for the MCU, like some of their villains, you know, they want justice for their family, for their race. Some want freedom. Um, some just want the pain to stop. You know, others consider it helping the universe. Um, Their reasons are more than shallow ideas. So Scott, Scotty and the Pims are, you know, they have to stop Ghost because Ghost wants to use the same particles. She she wants to try and see if she can get to to Janet, um, Hank's wife. So that way she can get some help for her, her illness. Um, so the Pims are kind of worried that if Ghost gets what she wants, then they could end up losing, losing Janet. Meanwhile, Scott just wants to go home. <laughs> he just wants to go home so he can finish the last few days of his house arrest. So uh, in this movie, everyone's kind of a bit selfish. Um, no one really seems to care about Scott's situation. Um, eventually, the team does find Janet, and she ends up helping Ghost with her phasing problem. She gives her kind of a temporary cure, and it's all right, but you know it's still a temporary cure, so they do have to kind of go back and collect more to kind of help her. Um, Ant-Man and the now reunited Pims are kind of trying to get more particles for Ghost when the snap happens 
All we see is uh, Pim Dust floating to the ground. Uh, another spoiler in the Endgame trailer is that we see Scott outside the Avengers outpost. And in this movie, we'll find out how Scott grew back to his normal size. So it's kind of a small spoiler, but spoiler nonetheless. Um, I would have definitely liked to have seen it on my own to see how Scott got back to his normal size. But who knows? We probably won't even see it there anyway. But yeah, definitely a good movie. Definitely a great movie. Great movie. I spoke about Captain Marvel when I started these MCU episodes. Um, just to kind of touch on it again. Uh, we got a deeper history into the Tesseract. Um, we get the origin of how Nick Fury lost his eye, which was actually very simple. And the most we get the most powerful character in the MCU. After seeing this movie, I wouldn't call her the most powerful character in the MCU, but you know, I would definitely say I would definitely put her in like the heavy hitters category with like Thor or, or the Hulk. Um, it's it's a good movie. Like I, I when I saw Captain Marvel, I was you know pretty impressed. Like, okay, cool, we finally get. Uh, a female-led superhero movie, um, let alone a good female-led superhero movie. I should say that because we did have a female-led superhero movie before with Elektra, but I mean, we know how that turned out. Um, but it was pretty obvious. The movie was kind of, kind of, kind of easy to predict, but very entertaining. I mean, I like, I like that. Usually Marvel, when, when the movie first starts, you see the Marvel logo. And normally they do like just little clips from each movie while they show the Marvel logo. Um, and this one, they actually showed Stan Lee's clips, which there's a lot of. So they definitely had a lot to choose from and a lot to work with as a tribute to Stan Lee. And I thought that was really nice. Um if if Stan Lee were still alive, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure the movie would still have the same cameo with him. Like in the trailer where we see Captain Marvel punch that old lady on the on the subway um, or a tram. Um, that's where we also see Stan. And it's actually really nice where he's reading a script. And she, like, puts it down, and then you see his face, and he smiles at her, and then she smiles at him. I think that was really nice. I'm not sure if they did that, if they had that already before. Like, that was going to be the plan, regardless of if he was alive or not. But I think that was definitely a nice nice addition to it. Um, it, it, was, it was a good movie. I definitely enjoyed it. So with that, that's pretty much the end of Phase 3. Um, we do have one more movie. Unfortunately, it comes out in a little less than three weeks. Uh, that would be Avengers Endgame. Um, we have a, I have a rough idea, an extremely rough idea of how it's going to end. I mean, the fact that we we know that Spider-Man comes back and we, we know that there's going to be another Guardians movie. We know that everyone comes back. Or, you know, we know that people who are, people who are snapped out of existence are going to be coming back. So we'll see how that happens. Um, I saw the very first trailer for Endgame. I have made it a point to not watch the other ones. I haven't been watching a lot of movies in theaters lately. I have been trying to avoid it just mainly because I don't really want to like have the trailer sneak attack on me. So I've been avoiding... A lot of social media posts about it. I've been avoiding videos about it. I've been avoiding the actual trailers themselves. I know they have uh, one trailer that's kind of long. They, they, they do have a long trailer for it. I have been ignoring that like crazy. I have seen pictures here and there. So I do I have, an, like I said, an extremely rough idea of what's going on. Um, but for the most part, I do want to be surprised when I go and see the movie for myself. And it does look pretty epic. I mean, we, we already know it's going to be a really good movie. 
Um, I do, I do know that the the end game is gonna be about three hours long, so that's gonna definitely be the longest Marvel movie. But clearly, the most is gonna be happening in that, and I believe that's the reason why they ended up splitting up the movies because I mean, Avengers Endgame on its own was over two hours long. So if you add that to um, Endgame, you know, you're basically going to have a movie that's over, well over five hours long. So definitely a smart idea to cut it back into two, two separate uh, movies, but I am definitely excited to watch it. Um, what was your guys' favorite movie, favorite Marvel movie? Or least favorite for that matter? Let me know. With that, guys, thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Um, I want to apologize because I know lately I haven't really been posting as much as I do normally. Um, I've been doing a lot of stuff with work. I've been sick as well. Um, for about a week I lost my voice like I had lost my voice and then it came back and then I had to do some stuff at work and then I just lost it again so um it's been a rough it's been a rough uh, few weeks for me I've been sick and I'm just really dealing with uh, being sick and a bunch of work stuff so um, I will be trying to get back into posting on a regular basis um, I will be posting more on my Facebook and Instagram pages as well. So please give that a visit. I want to talk about movies. Um, definitely keep up with the listening. Again, I greatly appreciate it. But before I leave you guys, I want to give you a movie quote from, from Stan Lee in Age of Ultron. He says this all the time, and unfortunately he's only said it once in the Marvel films, and it feels only right to to um, say this in honor of him because we are talking about his work. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, Excelsior. Thank you, movie lovers. See you next time.